Hello, listener. Um, you may have noticed I'm not singing. Um, we're doing something a little different. Um, originally, the Dune cast was meant to have uh, me, Sean, Shay, and Morton, and maybe EJ on it. Um, and then Sean got injured at work, Shay had a personal emergency, and EJ just saw Dune separately, and they recorded their thoughts and sent them to them in the form of a street cast. So the structure will be, I'm going to finish up this, probably singing something very short, because it's already running longer than it should. And then we'll go to EJ on the streetcast. I apologize for the audio quality, but if you're a fan of this show, you know that high production values are not part of the deal. And then we'll segue into the main uh, episode, which is Morton and I talking at more great length. Uh, so enjoy the show, and do-do-do-do-do-do, there really are some big worms. Right, fellas. Uh, reporting in live from leaving my baseball game. Apologies. I couldn't come to see Dune with you guys, but I do want to share some very limited, scattered thoughts, and uh, it's going to be just a mess because... So I saw I saw it last night in IMAX, and uh, I was able to chat about it afterwards, but um, it was, again, just very scattered. And, yeah, so... I really liked it. Um, I, I I really quickly wanted to see it again uh, because I feel like I miss a lot of dialogue because um, everyone fucking whispers all the time and uh, Hans Zimmer is no chill. So I do want to see it again with subtitles so I can catch everything. But that being said, like, I thought it was a really really well done how they um created like I felt like there was a really heavy theme of colonialism and uh colonization and uh I I haven't I've only read like 50 pages of the book so I haven't really figured out if that's them interpreting some themes or in kind of interpreting themes that were there but not really touched upon as much in the book but like they really I felt like they went out of their way to create sort of images that related to like imperialism such as like um the bagpipes thing and very in the ceremonies uh and the religious aspect of things how they kind of well taking one religion that is viewed as like what I interpreted as kind of like not Catholicism but like a say Catholicism was 6,000 years older than it actually is I don't know Um, and then sort of I guess I would say, I guess I would say Christianity as a whole, but, uh, and then they, they come to Arrakis, which is, no wait, what's that thing called? It's not Arrakis. What the fuck the planet called? Dune. It's not called Dune. Whatever it is. Um, oh no, it is called Arrakis. Good thing I'm not recapping this, huh? Um, Okay, so they come to Arrakis, right? And they, like, colonize it and they exploit all of its resources, which are used as, uh, you know, like, like holistic purposes generally by uh, anyone who's lived there already. So, yeah, okay. What I'm trying to get at, this is why I need people to rein me in. Um, I like the colonialist themes that they're kind of doing, but I also felt like it was not done as it should have been. So, like, yes, they might have been viewed by the camera as colonizers, but I don't feel like the narrative viewed them as negatively as they should have been. Um, (coughs) So, like, for example, like, I think Paul is kind of portrayed as, like, this, like, 
sort of hero-esque, like, men of the people. And, uh, the previous inhabitants are obviously viewed as terrible because they were the worst. But, like, they're just as bad because they have just come in and used the same stuff. And it's still stolen land and it's still like oppressing the native population and yeah so yeah okay that's what I have to say about that and the other thing was I found it interesting that they're using a lot of images like like I said the bagpipes and then the Spanish bullfighters because um it made me kind of think about like uh the spanish being some of the first people to come to the americas and you know destroy a lot of it shout out to christopher columbus that kind of shit so like they fucked up bad over in the americas and i was wondering if they're kind of acknowledging different sets of um, like, uh, whatever the, uh, empires, I don't know, and, and I was also thinking how, um, like, the idea of a bull that they kept showing, the bull with its head off, uh, the bull's head, and the statue of the bull with the man doing the bullfighting, um, it made me think of, like, the way that you tame a bull is castration. And uh, I think maybe that was on purpose because they're kind of, the whole point is they're trying to close off this family line to prevent like the one from coming into the world. So some people think it's Paul. And I think it sounds like they're setting up um, his mom being pregnant as, like, maybe that's the actual one, whatever it is. So I was kind of thinking, like, they've cut off the head of the family, which is Oscar Isaac, and, like, effectively what they think is castrated the family line so that it's impossible to continue and destroy the one or whatever it is because they think they've killed Paul as well so and they don't know it's the pregnancy I don't know that's a very scattered and misdirected thoughts that I was having during the film um and overall I thought it was really interesting really good excellent world building um and just really classic slow ass fucking sci-fi like bring back that shit where the whole thing is like the front it's front loaded with big battle and big explosions and then it just continues to shrink until it's a few people sword fighting in the second act and then the, the third act ends with just two guys just sword fighting and you're like yeah okay we're not about this whole fucking Marvel bullshit where everything needs to be bigger and better. It's just shrink it down and play it for what it is. Uh, so yeah. Also, didn't know this was going to be part one. Thought we'll see in the whole film. Turns out we're not. Wild. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. So, looking forward to hearing the rest of the thoughts from the crew. Oh, I didn't do one light hot take. Maybe I'll do that in a sec. Thank you for your thoughts, EJ. And now for our feature presentation. It's the rest of the show! Hitting record, and we'll see what happens, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I think... No, you feel sexy. <laughs> I think for me is like, the... I've seen the, um... Well, I've seen part of the Lynch one. I think it was on TV once, and I've seen parts mm. of it, and I've seen videos about the Lynch one, and I've seen the... I've seen parts of the documentary, what's it, In Search of Dune or whatever. The... Uh, Jodorowsky's. Yeah. Uh, Dune. I almost said Zoom there. <laughs> That's his MP3 player. Yeah. But, like, 
that kind of you know because I, I tried to read the book and it didn't stick and when I, that was in my you know very early 20s but like mm. you know it just didn't land for me but I've always had this idea in my mind that it was going to be a bit stranger because of like the strangeness of the other iterations that I'd encountered yeah no definitely but like when so I've only watched about half of the Lynch one as well and I was in and out of sleep on my sofa for the last 20 minutes of that half I would say as mm. well but it's kind of it's not actually all that different from what I can remember yeah from the way this one plays out as such it's very kind of jarring in the sense that it goes from set up scene to set up scene to set up scene does the does the does the, does the Lynch one go further in the story does it finish the first book or I, I, I guess neither of us know because we've not I, seen the whole thing yeah I've not finished watching it I would say does I think um, but I'm not too sure I know it's a bit of a kind of nightmare edit one I think where mm. there was a lot of interference from uh, from the studio and it was just a bit back and forth and I think he was trying to do something interesting with it and it just comes out a bit it's a bit dry yeah yeah it comes out as a one for them which is not what you expect from Lynch so welcome back to Heard You Saw um <laughs> It's me and Morton. I believe this is the first time we've done a cast, just the two of us, since the crimes of Grindelwald. No, I didn't do that with you. Yeah, you did. I listened to it recently. It's you and me in the office. Is it? Yeah. We were in the office at Genesis, and like Shay, well, everyone else had refused to see it, so it was just us two. Okay. Um, yeah, which says it's been a while, right? Because it means it's been yeah. like, what, like three, four years since we just the two of us? Although, like, I, I was watching TV the other night and um, there was like, coming up on Graham Norton, Eddie Redmayne. And I was like, he still has a career. He's going to be in The Secrets of Dumbledore, apparently, which yeah. is the most queer baity fucking name in the world, isn't it? Yeah. You're just like, oh, cool, they're going to. Is, is, is Jude Law going to kiss a man? Mm. I, and I it, doubt it. Is that man Mads Mickelson? No, it's Johnny Depp. No, Johnny Depp's not in it anymore. What? This is how do you not know this? This is the whole get rid of Amber Heard from Aquaman Two fanboy thing. In that um, Johnny Depp has been axed by Warner Brothers. Mad Mickelson is not going to be Grindelwald. Um, which I mean, like, that's that's correct. I yeah, mean, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, good casting. And now there's loads of fanboys that are just like, actually, the court case found them. Just as bad as each other, so uh, I think she shouldn't should, be Mira. Should, yeah, yeah, she shouldn't be an Aquaman two anymore. And if you do, then I won't go and see it. And it's like okay, okay, like, <laughs> politely. Who cares? What is your horse in this race? Like, I, I don't understand. Women should also suffer, apparently. Yeah, but it's like it's um, we we begin as ever with a round of one. <laughs> this is going to be a very unstructured cast, much like the film. Um, we saw Dune. So that's, I mean, you've seen the title of the episode, so that's what we're talking about. Um, one line hot takes. Morton, do you have a one line hot take on Dune? I'm trying to think of a funny way of doing it. I have a half line hot take for you. Okay. <laughs> because it's half a film. Oh, oh, very good, very good. Yep, that's good. Um, I, I guess mine would be um, what I said to you as I came out of the cinema. Well, that happened. Mm. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> Quite dry. So... <laughs> do you want to recount the... Pl I don't really want to recount the plot. I mean, it's no. Dune. Like, you know, it's space politics on a desert planet. There's a big worms. You know, that's about it. Timothy Chalamet looks at the camera a lot. Zendaya looks over her shoulder. Jason Momoa is there. He really shaved his beard at one point, and I was like, that's a bad choice. Yeah. Get the beard back, bro. It's a good look. Yeah, it's it's it paint. It, I've just realised the shot that you're talking about because it kind of jarred me, and I couldn't figure out why it jarred me. And now you've just made me realise. Whereas I was just like, yeah, it's it's a horrible moment to discover Jason Momoa doesn't have a chin. <laughs> powerful, powerful jaw, but no chin. Powerful jaw. Powerful kind of like neck muscles, which are being pushed up by his outfit. Yeah, it's like this kind of like swoop to the extent that it makes it look like he has no neck at yeah. the same time. Look, he's got a touch of the Harkonnen about him, mm. I think, in some ways. So this movie was odd, but not in like a fun way. It was honestly pretty dull. Yeah, it's unfinished because it's half a book. It's all <laughs> set up. 
no payoff. To, to quote Matthew Gregg from Butcher Mania when he was on OSW, it's all fart, nay poo. You know, you, you, you don't get any closure or any satisfaction. Nobody really has an arc. Nobody no. really does anything that seems to matter all that much. That's the thing, no. From about halfway through, if you've read the book... Um, this is from halfway through the film, if you've read yeah, the book. Yeah, from about halfway through the film, if you've read the book, you kind of get a good idea of where they're going and how they will divide it up. And from that point, I was just like, okay, but how are they going to put an arc onto anyone from this? <laughs> and the answer is, they didn't. No. Really? That like They try to with a couple of throwaway lines during the climactic fight. Which <laughs> it's a bit of pushing and shoving. Yeah. Which was, as climactic sequences go, I was just like, we've, we've had better fights in this movie. We've had... I already felt like we had the dramatic climax with, like, you know, him learning to trust in the Force. Yeah. You know, and then look at a worm. And I was like, all right. And then it's like, oh, we, we've, we've solved the problem. Let's go with the Fremen. And then that guy's like, wait, we need an action sequence to end the movie on. I volunteer to get killed by Timothée Chalamet. Mm. It's, it's, yeah. There's... So you were saying just before we started this, just before we committed ourselves to... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be. We'll see. Uh, I don't know. Speed record, maybe. Who knows? (laughs) So you kind of said before we started that um, you were expecting it to be stranger. Yeah. Based on what you've heard and based on the previous people that have been involved in previous incarnations. Yeah, everyone describes Dune as being a really weird book, and when I tried to read it the first time, I found it a bit weird and gave up. Yeah, and that's the thing, I think I've only read the first one. From my understanding, the rest of the series is where it gets weirder. Yeah. The first book, I think it's very much just kind of considered weird because there's witches and because it's very overt in the way it references um... Islam in the sense that like lots of fancy kind of errs around religion but yeah. it's not ever as kind of over in its um, non-westernness yeah as this is um, it I have a I, this may be because of the book is a product of its time boy howdy does this feel like it's setting up quite the white savior narrative Oh yeah, completely. Which is just like, oh, he knows how to do all of our things, but better than us, and he was never taught. And he's white, and I was like, okay. Um, yeah. That's just in the text. Like, he literally, he just magically knows because he's a product of space eugenics to be the perfect man. But I think, that's the thing, I think there will be a lot that is kind of lost uh, from casual viewers of it, if there are casual viewers of it. It seems to be, I mean, here's the thing, I don't know how it's done monetarily so far, but it seems to be like, you know, post-lockdown-ish, not post-pandemic, obviously, keep wearing a mask, mm. if you're listening, please do, wash your hands. Um, this seems to be like the bigger event movie, given that it's going up against No Time to Die. Yeah, no, definitely, like, it, it's given that a couple of weeks, but, and granted, when I went to see that, I saw it in, like, a big multiplex on Monday night, mm. uh, but there are as many people in this small screen showing of this that yeah. there was in that uh, the other night. The, and to be fair, the way the couple next to us were kind of gasping and getting shocked every time Timothée was in danger from within the first 20 minutes. So it's just like, okay, I kind of want to watch it through your eyes because you're clearly casual viewers. Yeah, you you don't know what's going to happen. Like, like I didn't really know what's going to happen, but I didn't really feel... Stakesy. I mean, yeah. I, I was familiar with like you know the the pain box scene. Like I, mm. you know, I've seen that before, which I think they did well. That was cool. They did that well, but they they didn't set up. I can't remember the name. The the the, the religious sect of ladies. Yeah. The bell the bell jet Bez- Bez- I think I'm not sure. I can't remember. Yeah. But the the issue that uh, was there for me is that as a casual viewer. Because it barely does it well enough for someone who has read the book. Mm. It doesn't kind of execute the weirdness of that he is a kind of prophet through his dreams. Yeah. And that he is rejecting that yeah. through the film. Except the thing is, he has... He, in, the, in, the, in the sequence of the film, 
we see him dream about Arrakis and Zendaya. And then he goes and talks to Jason Momoa, Duncan Idaho, mm. and he's like, I saw you die in a dream. I should act on this because my dreams are real. And I was like, okay, he knows they're prophetic dreams. And then when he met Lady with the Pain Box, she was like, do you have dreams? And he was like, yes. And she goes, do they come true? And he goes, Meh. And it was like, oh, so they're not? Are you not? And she's like, he's only just coming into his powers. So yeah. I'm like, all right. So he doesn't know that they're prophetic necessarily yet? That's thing that I, I don't mean even in terms of like he's rejecting the way of life. I mean he's rejecting what's expected of him kind of thing. Because that's the whole thing of the big climactic fight of him. He's not, choosing his yeah. path to be the desert man. And like he's had visions of himself dying. He's had visions of himself becoming... Um, a warlord and yeah, a taking warlord. over the galaxy and that. And that's it. So I didn't really feel that it kind of emphasised enough that he was rejecting that. Because it did feel like, because to me, in the final fight scene, when he saw himself die, I was like, okay, so presumably he's going to use this vision to like win the fight. And then he just won. Yeah. And I was like, oh. And what? that's it. <laughs> It's, so he was wrong, or he was th- was that just him being afraid? Like, but fear is the mind killer. He's not meant to feel fear properly. I think it was a mixture. I think it was partly that, but for me, it was more just a case of that he. Um, my mind's just gone blank. That's good. That helps you focus. <laughs> you must blank your mind and let the pain flow through you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it was more that. Yeah. That vision didn't really inform any part of it, but then again, neither did any of them. No. In the sense that, like, the visions were supposed to be showing him, as you say, like a warlord and him rejecting that, but not really knowing what he was rejecting it in favour of. Yeah. I thought, that, I thought the sequence when he was in the tent, when he had the big, like, I'm going to kill the universe vision, mm. was kind of cool. And it sort of made me go, oh, I wonder where this is going. And then the movie ended, and I was like, oh... Tune in next week, same Dragon Ball Z channel, to see whether freezers will blow up the planet. And I was like, what? <laughs> I kind of... That was one of the things they set up, of him yeah. like going, oh, this is my horrible destiny. And since his horrible destiny involved him like getting the eyes of the Fremen and becoming, you know, joining up with Zendaya and that, I was like, well, so he is choosing that in the language of the film, right? Because we see him with these characters doing a holy war and then mm. he goes and joins the people that in his vision he saw himself doing a holy war with and I was like but then you had that like you said that throwaway line of him like I'll marry one of the emperor's daughters yeah to stop the holy war that I'm gonna start yeah it's all and it kind of deals with that in the second half of the book of like the different lives that are kind of being forced upon him whether it's the Political one, Duke of Atreides, uh, yeah. Yeah. his mother's, whether you're the Messiah, clan, yeah, yeah eugenics the Messiah, then as well, the the paradise angle uh, of June, which isn't really covered brilliantly well in this opening part as well. Oh, when he's like, I could turn Arrakis into a paradise with a wave of my hand. Yeah, and it's the idea that, like, if he did that, he would then be turning actually the universe into paradise because this thing that they exploit would be gone yeah um, he would close off he would like you know stop conventional space travel which yeah. again I, I, I understood because I understand what spice is meant to be and they did explain that briefly at the beginning but I was like no that's what he's saying when yeah. he's like if we if we turn Arrakis into a paradise we take away like mm. capitalism for a lack of a better term and you know and I'm like that's interesting but it's not really communicated no I got, I got a question for you what did you think this movie wanted us to feel I'm not saying whether it made us feel anything. What do you think it what, what was it going for? I honestly have no idea because I think you've kind of just nailed it on the head there in that it introduces or threatens to introduce a lot of interesting ideas. Yes. And then doesn't and kind of quotes it a bit more in an action framework. But even then, kind of? not that much. And like when you're watching the, aqua, uh, the action sequences, it's, it's shot very... Uh, detached. Yeah, it wasn't shot like an action film. No, even like the fight scenes were a bit like shaky cam, kind of odd angles. It, it. I kind of feel like they shot for like a lower age rating than this should have been. Mm. Like, I was very surprised when the title card came up. To be fair, I was expecting this because it was 15. what it was a twelve A, right? Twelve A. Yeah, and it. I kind of felt that in like the because 
one of the things, you know, one of the sequences that I thought was pretty good was the whole fall of House Atreides when, like, you know, mm. the Harkonnen turned up and just fuck everybody's shit up. And I kind of expected that to be a bit more violent than it was. And because they have, like, the whole shield system, it's like, you know, you can clearly see when a person's been compromised mm. or whatever. But it, it just felt a bit bloodless, and you're meant to have, like, oh, these are the really scary Imperial bad guys who are going to fucking kill everybody. And, yeah. and then they just sort of hit them with sticks, and everyone fell over. And I was like, all right, well, that doesn't mm. feel threatening in the same way. Doesn't set up the Sardaukar uh, very well, either. Yeah. I, uh, they had that mass ritual killing bit, like for like a shot, and I was like, "What the fuck's happening there? Are we going to get some?" And then they were just like, "No, we're leaving this scene behind." This is the thing. I'm fairly sure from the book that they are. So not just are they the Imperial soldiers. So there's that kind of, "Oh, we've got to disguise this." Like you can't know that we gave them to you, even though like as soon as they land, everyone's like, "Oh shit!" Okay. Oh look, it's the Sardaukar. Yeah. They're wearing white, and everyone else is wearing black, and they've got the distinctive what was that meant to be covert no 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 because like, Jason Momoa says like they were the Sardaukar and everyone goes the Sardaukar he's like when you fought them you'd know and I'm like well, yeah but also they're wearing white they're yeah. dressed in their cool outfit if they were wearing black I'd be like okay that's the thing yeah there's no effort to disguise them which I can't remember if there is in the book but I'm fairly sure in the book as well that there's kind of a bit more backstory to them of that they are like the most violent criminals that have then been converted in prison to like space religion no or to, like imperial to the, the, yeah, fascist, imperial troops, and fascist troops yeah. okay okay which like that kind what didn't come across no, it just like they're, they're, the, they're the tough guys who kill people it's that thing and this is based on your question of how do you think it's supposed to make you feel I don't think they know because they've streamlined it to an extent that it is a um, consumable, just about comprehensible story. Mm. But there's no motivation, there's no emotion, there's no backstory to anyone. There's really not that much emotion. No. There was, I mean, one of the things that they didn't make clear, which I really threw me for a loop slightly midway through, was the fact that um, Paul's mum and Oscar Isaac... He, she was a concubine. Oh yeah, no, they don't. Yeah, they didn't deliver on that that much at all. The well. first time they said that is when they're in bed together and she's massaging his head. He said, "Oh, I should have married you." And I was like, "Well, I'd been reading you as like space queen or whatever." Like, what? No. So again, this is another one of those things that um, the reason their house is weaker is because he hasn't, fought, but also claims to be stronger, is because he's kind of rebelled from the system by not like marrying from another house to oh, kind okay. of tie a bond as such he's married for well, love. he's not married for love. Yeah. Um and yeah that's what I mean. Like they've streamlined so much of it that actually you're not getting any of the kind of like complex world yeah. and the backstories with all of these characters that like you don't form a bond with any of them no. so you don't feel anything like the character and I felt most attached to was Paul's mum because mm. she kind of had an arc in this film a little more than pretty much anyone else because mm. she like you know she went from being like this very cowed figure by her religion to also, you know, you said in the book she's much more overtly scheming and has much more of her own angle and stuff like that, which I didn't quite get. But to she... an extent, yeah. Like it, it, in that again, it was another thing that was very rushed in the like pain hand in the box scene is that um, she's kind of told like, oh, you you've put too much power in the hands of a man and yeah. your son like we are only supposed to have daughters yeah like the power gets passed on to daughters but in their kind of prophecy in their belief there will be a man at one point and he will be the chosen one he will be the messiah yeah to what end not massively clear and yeah. also not massively clear in this book as well but it's not made clear that she kind of like actively chose to have a son yeah one to ensure that she could stay with the house because she provided the heir yeah but also so that she had birthed and mothered and raised this messiah figure and yeah it just doesn't come through doesn't but I, I appreciate you know I appreciate all that but I think what she did do well was like she did the conflict of 
duty versus love for her son mm. well, which was by far, in my opinion, which the most motivating. Well the, yeah, and it bodes well for the second film yeah. as well. Oh, does is she get more to do in the back half then? I assume. Um, more of the same as such. Oh. There's kind of there's kind of now. She's like all of that work that she has put in. She is now seeing at risk because she's raised a son who has agency, who wants to decide between. He wants his to world. go and be in the desert with Zendaya. <laughs> yeah, and she doesn't like that. See, that sounds yeah, interesting. She doesn't like that he is suddenly has another female influence in his life. See. That sounds like some actually quite interesting character work, which, like, I would have liked some of that to be in this film. That's the thing. The, the, the issue for me is it's going to take... Let's be kind. Let's say three and a half, four years, I would say, for a sequel. Unless they've already started, like, you know. Unle- yeah, unless they've already They're doing started. the old film them back-to-back thing and hope for the best. Like I, That's the thing. I was sure that they were at first... And then, as we have an insider on the film, um, I was confused and I felt like, oh, maybe they're not, mm. actually. But I, I thought that is what had been announced at first, and now that it's been released, there's like lots of talk about um, whether there is going to be a part two. By the sounds of it, there probably will be. But even at like, the, the kind end of that gap is probably two and a half to three years. Yeah. Who's remembering this at that point? Yeah, this to, is the thing to, that, to go back for part two. It, for a film where like quite a lot happened, it also felt like not a lot happened. <laughs> like because, as I said before, when we were walking down the road, like I I've not read the book, you know, but I don't. I felt like characters were introduced, they did a thing, and then they got killed. Do you know what it felt like? Actually, it felt like the opening episode and final episode of a first season of a TV series. Yeah, I've seen that compa- I've seen that comparison that it feels like an episode of something mm. rather than a film that stands up in its own right. Oh yeah, no, it, it completely doesn't stand up in its own right. Like, mm. it's, it's wonderfully made. It's, it looks very nice for the most part. Costume department did a great job. Yeah. There's some fucking excellent outfits in this. Dave Batista, mm. who I continue to think is the best wrestler turned actor you know and he clearly likes working with Villeneuve um, you know because he was in Blade oh, Runner yeah, 2049 as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and like he he actually seems to be quite willing to take his craft seriously but also like he does quite subtle mm. which is rare for wrestlers because wrestlers are built to be like Burr! but I think because you were telling me about his character that's actually a much more conflicted and interesting and deep character mm. I still felt that he was very engaging when he was on screen yeah even no, though definitely. he had like maybe what like 15 lines in the whole fucking film I was just like I like seeing him do stuff and I was like he each time he's on screen you you feel like oh there's more to come from him yeah and then more doesn't really come but yeah like, he has not, like major antagonist yeah. yeah it's just he's got major antagonists written all over him and mm. it's just like yeah I I kind of felt like you know Baron Harkonnen, I don't know who plays him. Uh, it's Stellan Skarsgård. Re- uh, I knew him from something. Mm. He, I think he does a good job. He does. But it is, you know, I remember this from the Lynch version, that Baron Harkonnen is a slightly over-the-top, ridiculous concept of a character. This huge, fat, misshapen thing that floats around like mm. a kind of evil dirigible. And I was like, I think they couldn't quite split the difference on wanting him to be intimidating, but also the stupidness of him. Like, yeah. when he went the movie, was like, my Arrakis, as he flew into the air. And I was just like, okay, mate. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was odd. The bit when he came in after the poison scene, he's just hiding on the ceiling. Oh, and gosh. I was just like, yeah. why did you film this like he's like a bat? Like, you know. Yeah, it was just another very half-cooked element of it, again, mm. as well, that it's just like, you don't really get, like... For a villain to work, you need to be able to identify at least one thing that scares you about them, yeah. in terms of whether it's their scheming, whether it's, like, their brute force, whatever, and you just don't get that with him. Like, you don't get... I, th- I think the thing that bothered me is that, like, you have this whole preamble at the start of the film with, like, how the Harkonnen were, like, super brutal, horrendously powerful, 
you know, they subjugated and killed the Fremen by the dozens and everything, and they became the richest people in the universe. Mm. And you had um, Josh Brolin being like, the Harkonnen are brutal, they're monsters, they're not like us, they're like these huge, you know, there was a lot of work into putting, getting them over. But then we see the Harkonnen have to go and get some other guys to even stand up to the Atreides, you know, because the Atreides are just that good. And I was just like, well, is this threat compelling, or is this, you know, is it or should they have maybe led it from a thing of like you can't you know that the Harkonnen are more strategic and they can use their money and resources the soft hidden power that they have rather than their brute force that's last orders do you want to get another uh yeah sure I can do one okay. you know I mean we're still on mic but do what um <sighs> if you grab another cider if you'd be so kind good sir I will vamp for time <laughs> while you're going to get them <laughs> So I think, without Morton being able to hear this, um, <laughs> he just looked back, to, back at me as he walked over to the bar. Um, it felt like a film with intensely good design, and Villeneuve, as you see in Blade Runner 2049, knows how to construct an image, and he also knows how to let things breathe. There's a lot of breathing space within this film that, you know, you're allowed to sit in moments, and I think that's good, but the problem is, because you don't have that underpinning of actual emotional resonance with what's being done in the film that moment of breathing doesn't mean as much and I can say this now because Morton's not here like uh, me and Jim friend of the show uh, watched Her last night which is a movie that's very good at letting things breathe but it's built on a very solid emotional language and it's about this one key relationship that allows you to really get into the mindset of these characters and how they're finding each other and how they're interacting whereas this no one felt real in the same way. Thank you, Morton. No problem. What I said while you were away is I used a brief allusion to her, because I wanted to talk about that a little bit in relation to this film. Okay. But I was saying that Villeneuve, like, he knows how to let a film breathe. Yeah. And he does let this film breathe. There's lots of spaces where like stuff's just like in the moment, which is nice. Mm. But the thing that I like in films that allow them to breathe is that there's something to breathe. And because none of the characters feel three-dimensional mm. or like fully conceived it's, it was breath in the service of nothing it was just there that's thing it felt like he was aiming for shakespearean but missed because he aimed only for atmosphere rather than character yeah because the, uh, atmosphere was great yeah again Hans, great. Hans Zimmer did a bang-up job yeah like I, I to really the liked that the I was like for a lot of the time I wasn't even too sure if it was him because I was like they feel like there are different influences in this mm. to his normal like yeah so it's like okay either either it's not him and it's someone that's been influenced by him or it's him and finally a director has kind of given him a little bit more direction yeah rather than just being like hey hands because i yeah can you do a can you do a batman soundtrack for me please or an inception soundtrack please i i think you know there was a lot of good stuff with like vocal work in the score like with the throat singing and with the kind of like sort Mm. of you know, it had that religiosity to it. Of, yeah. You know, evoking the sounds of religion in your mind and making you go, no, yeah, yeah, I understand that this is meant to be a very spiritual experience, but that spirituality has to be supported in the text. Yeah. And it just kind of wasn't. I don't... I, I'm trying to think about how you'd, like, approach... Because I feel like it's... There's a lot to set up, like you say, and part of the fun of Dune is that you've got this very rich world and all of these things in it. But at the same time, I kind of feel like... I didn't really care for Paul. No. Chalamet is fine, but he's not like a... He gets the brooding aspect of the character. Yeah, and he had that slight juvenile feel to him, which I thought was good because, like, you don't want a character who feels too white red or whatever, but, like... He just wasn't very engaging. Thank you very much. Cheers. Like, I didn't really... I wasn't always sure of, like, how I was meant to react to him as a character, because, like, at some points he's being treated as, like, oh, you're a boy, you've not got any muscle, you can't do anything, Mm. you need to learn, you need to fight, etc. And I felt like the transition from him being, like, I'm a sweet little baby boy who's never been off my home world and I've never done anything before to oh I'm a badass who catches hunter seeker drones with my bare hands and I have the respect of my peers I felt like that shift kind of happened not off screen but like in the quadruple space of these scenes 
and then we were all meant to kind of like respect him and what? And then he's like, and now I'm going to dictate how we go looking for these desert people because I've watched like a video. And that's thing. It's it. It does kind of feel like that. He feels like a kind of plucky teenage character rather than someone who has been bred and trained for a long time to be the head of this household at to some point. To be the perfect man. Like classic sci-fi thing. If he's just genetically superior and to a modern audience you go, excuse me, what? Mm. <laughs> but I mean, I feel the the scene that he had with Josh Brolin towards the start where he was doing like his physical training, yeah. that worked well. Yes. The I liked, I thought Brolin was really good. Yeah, no, he was. I think he managed to sell the difference of being... I, there was a bit of the old. I, I saw a take online which said that like there's there are jokes in this movie that shouldn't be there. Mm. You know, like the bit when he's all like, "You need to smile, Josh Brolin." I am smiling. Yeah, and I was like, "Fuck off!" Like you know, these are brooding, serious men coming to face to face with like the greatest imperial power in the yeah. universe. Like they're not going to be cracking wise. It feels very much like the you know the Joss Whedoning of dialogue, which is yeah. just a bit like yeah, flaccid. Yeah, yeah. But I felt that in the scenes when he was allowed to be serious. I, I liked he brought that kind of like seriousness mm. to it, you know. And he wasn't funny, he was like a serious character. Be like, no, these people will fucking kill you. And I felt like that sold it because, you know, Jason Momoa was very much like, kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, Duncan Idaho, I've got a cool name and I yeah. fly planes and I'm yeah, going to go yeah, yeah. and live with the natives and become a cool guy and everything's fine and I'll protect you and I might die in the future. Ah, I'm going to cheat destiny, kid. Whereas Josh Brolin, even though he fell off the movie, in the yeah, halfway point, I was just yeah. yeah. I'm assuming he comes back, or is he just death off screen? No, I believe he does. Okay, that's uh, good because I felt like he had stuff to do. Yeah, <laughs> no, I believe he does. Um, so yeah, my issue with that is that like yeah. So his scene with Josh Brolin at start great. Yeah. Um, his scene, uh, his scenes with his mum at the start and with the like the box of paint. Yeah, great. That was really well done. I I think that was probably the best scene in the movie because mm. it's. A very good concept. Lots of space for the actors to, you know, do good, like understated acting. With, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you're in tremendous pain, but you're trying not to hold, let it show, etc., etc. I'm a big fan. Of, everyone loves the, you know, the was it the prayer of the mind or whatever mm. it's called. Like that was very well done. I was like, that's great. Um, and yeah, the scene where he first kind of chats to Jason Momoa about like the dreams and like visions and whatnot handled well as well. So the, they established like the three three of the kind of things that you would want to be established for him for it to be clear that he is being groomed to be this kind of leader and that you've got the like brutish physical side of violence in a world where there are 12 houses that are kind of fighting for favour mm-hmm. um, the spiritual side spiritual of you side. may be the genetic messiah Yeah, yeah, and the kind of like I don't know, not carefree side as such, but kind of But like, he's still a kid. Yeah. And I like that Jason Momoa kind of infantilizes yeah, him and he's exactly, all like, yeah. you're not ready for any of this. What I don't feel it did well enough was the fourth bit, which was his scene with Oscar Isaac. Yeah, when they're dead, at, like, yeah. yeah, when they're at the graves and whatnot. And you just like, I'm not seeing him being groomed to be a statesman. I'm no. seeing him groomed to be... Possibly a warlord, as you say. I'm Possibly. Not, I'm not seeing the, the kind of the political bureaucratic side being groomed in him. And as a result, it's just kind of like, like, well, yeah, of course you're having visions of being a warlord. Like, you've not been, we've not seen you be diplomatic at any point, except yeah. with Stogar. Um, the Javier Bardem character. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where he's kind of just like, you're right. When, when you know when yeah he kind of calms the thing when yeah. they're having the difficult meeting and I was like I kind of feel, it, maybe it's not in the text of the book but I kind of wish there'd been a little bit more of a reaction to that to like make because I kind of saw that sequence and I was just like oh okay you know he's willing to be more pliant but then the thing is Oscar Isaac immediately followed suit yeah. and was pliant with him as well and I didn't get like the sense that he was you know showing his ingenuity or like following yeah. any kind of like better thought process than that. I was just like, oh, okay, he 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 was diplomatic. I assume this is a diplomatic mission and his dad was diplomatic as well. I was like, right, okay, cool. And his dad's like, I don't want to be the richest people in the universe. 
I want to make you guys happy. And mm. I was just like, well, is that a lie? And then they go out of their way to show that he's like a good and honorable man who does genuinely want these things. I'm just like, okay, but it, I don't know what it's messaging. It just felt a bit it's, unclear. It's a, yeah, no, it's a dead end, a bit like Josh Brolin is in it as well. And mm. that's the issue, again, of adapting half a book, is that you can have set up, but there are some bits that aren't really set up they're just dead ends if you only tell half the story yeah and, and if you're looking at this film in isolation yeah. which and we it have just, to yeah it just feels like a dead end yeah because like okay so it kind of raised one of the issues for me as well that I had when I read the book as well um, but particularly I think kind of comes into even more of the fore comes more to the fore mm-hmm. uh, with this is that so when they find the Fremen uh, towards the end and Javier Bardem is there for me given the way that they introduced his character and like kind of the gruffness of him the very focused on I understand your politics better than you do because I can see that you're just going to kill each other and exploit us yeah he's like you are another oppressor you are not my friend yeah, yeah we don't want anything to do with any of you it's like you can have the fucking spice we don't care just stay the fuck away from us and let us live in the desert and they've broken the one rule that he he laid out for them and by that point he's not really like he vaguely kind of thinks oh maybe you are the messiah yeah possibly a bit maybe because Eh. he kind of he like he I can't remember what he says in that first meeting but yeah again he's all like I see you or whatever and I think more could have been made of that like it's it's rare that I'll ask for less subtlety in a film. Yeah, but it's like is is Javier Bardem's character being pragmatic? Yeah. Is he succumbing to his nascent spiritualism? Is he like you know playing some other fucking third wheel game that we don't know about? It's mm. like it's unclear because he's all like, well, you guys seem pretty cool. You can come with us. And then other guy is like, no, we sh- you you lost a fight to his mum. Now I have to fight his son because reasons. We need an action climax. Zendaya, I'm trying to establish a bond in literally one scene and about three lines. <laughs> hey, you've given me words. <laughs> Thank you. I don't have to look over my shoulder. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like... So the point that I was trying to make, sorry, was mm. that, like, for me, when they break that one rule, like, you expect them to be killed yeah. on the spot almost as such. It's just like, oh, shit, no, you're trying to find our home. No. Yeah. I don't care that you're trying this, to get off world from this. Yeah. You're trying to drag us into this. Yeah. Like, no, that was the one rule we laid out for you. Yeah. And again, I don't think that was clear enough from the fact that like he does kind of feel like maybe he is a bit of messiah. Yeah. I was surprised that like um Inquisitor Lady got killed. That seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. Mm, yeah. Because she was all like, well, they're after you. I'm going to go a different way and I'll go and survive in the desert because I'm a desert survivor. I'm good at surviving in the desert. Vague allusions to the fact that they can ride around on the sandworms. And then she just gets stabbed. And I was like, oh. Oh, cool. Another character who I thought was neat. I was like, I think you're interesting because you're of the Fremen, but you're mm. also like of the Imperium, which puts you outside of the house system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty neat. Let's have some more of, I'd like to see where your character goes. I was like, oh, she's dead. Okay. Though she did get, in my opinion, best line in the film, which is like, I serve one lord and his name is Shai Halud. I was like, that's cool. Mm. That, was, that was cool. I had to no, make go like, nice, nice. So... Uh, Apologies if this is a spoiler for... Is she not dead? No, no, no. For one of the first scenes of the second film, if and when it happens. And I might be misremembering the book. Okay. But I don't... Grain of salt. There's spoiler klaxon. We war, we war. I don't think I am. But, um... So, from my memory of it, that that fight comes, like, a little bit after they've started their trek. Like, it's a little bit more of a trek. Okay. From when they first picked them up. And this guy is properly just like along the way, like, no, they shouldn't like they dishonored us, kind of. Yeah. And eventually it's kind of a bit of a snap of just like, okay, we'll fight this out. So like that's fine. Speed that up a bit. That, yeah. That's fine. Makes sense. You need to have a climactic action scene, sure. But it's not a climactic action scene because it's halfway through the book. And it's not even like the midpoint of the book as such kind of thing. Sort of vaguely is for his character, but there's like there's immediate things that follow it that you just like oh no this is weird like I should be seeing more of these I should be see, seeing more of Paul and Chana interact straight away kind yeah. of thing 
and there's a, there's a bit that like obviously would leave the film on a very weird note because it's clearly trying to engineer that fear, fight into a climactic fight but I can't remember if it happens immediately after the fight or if it happens once they get back to the settlement it's such because they're taking the uh, taking the body back but there's this whole thing about where he's like oh no I don't want to do that so you've got the suits mm. um that are like recycling their piss and their sweat and yeah, their tears. Yeah, yeah. So you can live and everything, yeah. They're like, you've killed him. You should honour his death by drinking all of the water from his suit. All of the piss water. Yeah. Okay. And like they're they're like we'll we'll make it so that the blood goes into that as well and gets recycled into water and like all of them gets recycled into water. Like that's honor. You drink him. Yeah. And it just feels like is that going to be a really weird first <laughs> like scene of the second open, film? Cold open Timothy Chalamet <laughs> just open, drinks just a man. Like a straw, just like... I drink your milkshake, Channa! <laughs> I drink it up! Oh. Uh, no, I just... I don't... As you say, I don't know what they want me to feel while watching it. Yeah. And I don't know who they hope to retain as an audience and this the is the other part. thing I don't really care who this is for because like fans of the book will be like well we're only halfway done mm. you know they'll probably go see it and be like neat they did a good version of Arrakis it's nice to see big CGI sandworms mm. you know the spice must flow etc etc and like the whole aesthetic and mood of the thing is fine but for Johnny Casual like me who's mm. not read the like I have a passing familiarity with Dune I, I mean, it, I, I would, I like would maybe watch a second one, maybe? Out of curiosity? Yeah, I, I kind of want to see where... But the thing is, the problem is, though, there's nothing that I want to see where it goes. Like, mm. this is the thing, because I'm just like, I'd like to see what Josh Brolin's character does. I don't really care about Timothy Chalamet, because like he's just not that engaging. Zendaya hasn't got a character yet because she's just looked at things in a vision mm. and said, made a couple of snarky quips. I like his mum, was Jessica. Jessica's engaging, but, and I think that, okay, so you saying about Zendaya, that is one of the big stylistic problems of the film for me. Mm. Is that uh, earlier you were saying something and I was about to say, you know what this film really needed? It needed a Lord of the Rings style prologue at the start. Then it, then I remembered, oh no wait, it, it did, did actually yeah, have one. It had one of those, it did yeah. Have one. Remember that and whole bit when we saw the wall? It wasn't stylistically different enough from his dream sequences. And I, because the story, like in the film to an extent, and in the book as well, starts with him dreaming of her and then him waking up. Yeah, because that's kind of alluded into the film. Yeah, because you've got that prologue and then you've got that dream so quickly. It's like, oh, the prologue doesn't actually stick in the memory. Yeah, as a function of it, and it's you don't really have a sense of how it. You also don't have a sense of how that connects to. Like you're like, oh, we're going to Arrakis where (laughs) the war is, but everything we established about the Harkonnen being there, the Harkonnen have now had to leave. Yeah. So Arrakis is now once again we have to reintroduce what the Fremen are properly, even though we could have done that in the prologue. Yeah. It, it, it did feel a little bit... The prologue bit... doesn't serve enough of a function. Do you, know what it, you know what it reminded me of a little bit? It reminded me of Man of Steel, where you have the massive prologue bit where oh, Jarrell God, like yeah. saves the baby yeah, and you yeah, see yeah. Krypton in its prime, and then halfway through the film, he goes to like the spaceship and you know, robot Jarrell says, mm. by the way, I'm just going to recount the events of the prologue to you, son, so you're caught up. And the audience is like, but we know all this. Yeah. We've watched it happen. Like, it was really long. But yeah, I've seen a few reviews and, like, a few, like, general chatter and whatnot of saying, like, oh, yeah, this this should be, like, the closest we've come in terms of, like, a kind of Lord of the Rings-style series on screen in terms of, like, that level of hype. And, like, I, I feel at times that I can see that sort of vaguely what they might be going for. But... Th- there's a that lot of competition. Stakes. There's also a lot of competition in there as well because it's like, I mean, you know, we're in kind of an interesting phase in television and film where there's like we are raiding the fuck out of sci-fi and fantasy at the minute because mm. we've got because there's a TV spin-off of this in the works oh, as well, Jesus focusing Christ. on the witches. Okay, okay, so there's that. So, but so we've got you know Lord of the Rings, the, the original stuff, and like stands tall and is like the yeah. progenitor of all this, but. We've got like the Silmarillion TV show coming out at some point. 
it's not Silmarillion. Well, it's like it's it's yeah, the Lord it's, of the Rings yeah, yeah, TV yeah. show thing, which is yeah. you know reputedly the most expensive TV show ever made. You've got they're 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 adapting the Wheel of Time. Yep. Which I'm like, who was asking for this? No one. You know, I read the first book of the Wheel of Time. And it, the first one is on my pile, and each time I go to it, I'm like, that's so long. Do you want? Do you all want, of them are so long. Can I give I'm just you? Like, can I'm I give never going to read. I'm going to give you a series. hint about the first book of the Wheel of Time. It takes 85 pages to get to the inciting incident of the story. Kill me. It, it literally, I was reading it, I was like, something's got to happen eventually. And then it got there, and I was like, when it gets going, it's not bad. There's some decent stuff in there, but it takes such a long time to get there. Yeah. Like, Robert Jordan is not a brief writer. So you've got that. Witcher Season 2 is coming back, you know, which... I'm I'm quietly excited for because I liked it sort of was I am campy. but I do feel like I need to rewatch the first series because I don't remember any of it and I, <laughs> I didn't understand any of it the first time round. <laughs> I enjoyed it because it was like this kind of it was a bit campier and sillier than like the other very self serious adaptations kind yeah. of stuff. What was the one I saw the other day that um, made me go really they're adapting this? But there's another big fantasy series or something that's getting adapted. Um, well, there's the Game of Thrones prequel. Of course, well. so, yep, you know. Which is the un- uninteresting prequel as well. Like, there, was, <laughs> yeah. there was the one that they shot the pilot for and then decided not to do it. And I'm like, but that's the one that sounded interesting. Like, <laughs> go. This is a House of Dragons, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas the other I like one... that Matt Smith's getting a payday because yeah. I'm a fan of Matt Smith. But the other one was supposed to be like set a thousand years before. Yeah, that's like, what I've heard. Yeah, like, that's interesting. Like yeah. go back to something where it it doesn't it won't actually like it doesn't affect what affect we already know. Yeah, 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 because like how do you end that? Like you, yeah, you've got and now I'll give birth to Sean Bean or yeah. something. You know, yeah. But it, there's an awful lot of this kind of like raiding of classic sci-fi and fantasy mm. stuff. Foundation. That was the that other was one. it. The Asimov it was, one. Yeah. We literally saw that today. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, with all of that happening, I d- it's very, very tricky. You know, it's a, it's a good time for nerd culture, he said in big air quotes. But like, mm. if you've ever wanted an adaptation of your weird niche property, now's the time. But the thing is, I'm getting to the point where I'm just like, the things that I really love, I, I don't want to see them adapted politely anymore, you know? No. Like, there's only one person I'd trust to let make an adaptation of the Wind on Fire trilogy. She's like my favorite fucking series of children's fantasy novels ever. Do you know who that is? It's me. I would be like, let me direct it. Let me hire some good animation studios. Ideally, was it the studio that did um, Secret of Kells, um, oh, Wolfwalkers, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, those yeah, guys? Yeah. Give me those guys. Like, we'll have a fucking day of it. Be three films. I, I had the same thing with um, Mortal Engines. Oh yeah. Like, because I, I, here's the thing. Ooh. I was so pissed when, like, they announced this is what the lead actress in Mortal Engines is going to look like in Mortal Engines, and like, I saw so many people going like, "You realize in the in the description of the book, her face is a train wreck. It's like she is disturbing to look at. She has just a neat little scar. Yeah, like a barely visible, like a Bismarck dueling scar. Like the fucking wine stain from Ready Player One, the movie adaptation. Oh God. Um. Yeah, no, for me it was Mortal Engines. I wanted to do that at some point with, with Leica. Stop oh, motion. Oh. Just entirely stop big, motion. Big fucking yeah, big. walking cities and shit. That yeah. would be so fucking cool. God, Studio Leica is so good. You know, they are. They just do good shit. I feel like we've drifted off topic. Do you think we have anything more to say about Dune the movie? Um, I think, it, it, to be fair though, as, so... And uh, start again. I think you already know if you're going to go and watch it. Yeah. And well, this is the sequel, or is this the one film that's out now? The film that's out now. Right. So, like, I think you already know if you're going to go and watch it or not because it it kind of looks like hard sci-fi. It well. looks like it. It looks like it. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. It's not. That's but, the key thing. It doesn't have the density. But that's the thing, like it's like a it's like a by uh, looking uh, like hard sci-fi, it's gonna alienate the audience that it might actually be able to reach. But Timothy Chalamet is very hot. Yeah. Though to be fair, I was more Oscar Isaac is very hot. With you know, silver beard, I was just like, hello sir. And it's like <laughs> just go and watch the Lynch version and watch like Sting early twenties Karen McLaughlin. <laughs> like No, I 
I don't know who it was trying to reach for this one and I don't know who it will retain for the next one mm. it wasn't bad none of it was bad none no. of it but this is the thing it never dipped it was here's the thing I saw as you'll have heard from the last episode of the podcast I watched No Time to Die which is ten minutes longer than Dune <laughs> boy is No Time to Die a pacey and fun affair compared to this this was a bit of a fucking dirge okay so actually they are the perfect bookends because that's what I watched last at the cinema as well. Okay. Um, no Time to Die does a very good job for two hours, 45 minutes of making you not realise that nothing is going on. Yeah. No, no, that's true. This does an awful job <laughs> for two and a half hours of making you go, wait, what's going on? Yeah, like, is I? anything going on? He's looking at a wall, and yeah. now the wall is looking at him, and now he's seeing Zendaya, who's looking over her shoulder. Um, it le- yeah, this this got all of the questioning that No Time to Die should have got. Yeah, it's like it's it got two films worth of questioning throughout the film of what are we doing? Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas No Time to Die, like I you know I think it's really well paced. I mean, you know, listen, listen to the previous episode of Heard You Saw for Nick and Jim talking about No Time to Die in depth. Um, like, I didn't look at my watch once. There are problems with that film. Ah, so, okay, yeah. you're saying that. Three films uh, since lockdown. Okay. Three times I have not worn a watch. Okay. I will never wear a watch to the cinema. Ah, is it the temptation too much? It, the, the temptation is too much, but it, it genuinely really ties you to the screen granted I've not watched an absolute stinker in that time <laughs> so it, it might, it, that might be more of the case but like there were times in this one where I was like I want to check what, like how long's left I found myself doing the, doing the mental thing of going like well in a standard story arc this would be about the blah point yeah but then I was like but also I know this isn't the entire book so I I don't know where I am but I was thinking about where am I because I was flagging a little bit I I think once I ran out of wine I was just like "Ah." I was really thinking it was going to be um, escape the giant sandworm that like they stare at that's in the trailer and that it was it was going to be a case of oh they've ruined the final shot of the film and that they were going to kind of not exactly the final shot but they were going to turn around and the people would be there yeah the friend would be like we yeah. found you and then hard cut yeah because now you're into the new d- that would actually would have been better yeah yeah because then it's like it, I think if I'd been doing it with this setup I would have made the final shot should have been the first time you see Sendai in person yeah exactly because you've, do- you've done all this work selling that's what up. I thought it was gearing up to yeah it's actually by a, five minutes thank you man cheers, by giving her any scenes you're highlighting the fact that you've not given her any scenes exactly she's never you know, and yet then just I feel like that fight scene at the end was really poorly judged like I even I and think not interestingly shot no and it wasn't very interesting choreography lots no. of a man going ah so yeah it's for me that fight scene is one of the things that annoys me a lot mm. um in very particular occasions, but it's understanding movement on film. Mm. And like sometimes, by communicating movement, you just need the camera to be still. Yeah. You don't, don't look at something like the raid. Yeah. You, you know, don't which need is. To follow and like cut and everything. You no, just no, need just to let it breathe. And look like, at any Jackie Chan film. Yeah. You know. And this was really guilty of it in that. The other one that I really, really despise that does it as well is there is a film uh, called Captain Fantastic that Viggo Mortensen like raises his oh, children out yeah, in the woods yeah, yeah. kind of thing. I've heard it's quite good. It's fine. Okay. There, there is a scene in it where two of the brothers, two of his kids, like kind of confront each other. They're at like odds as to the life that he's raised them in and one of them wants to reject and leave it, one of them doesn't. And it's shot in a basketball court at night and it does exactly the same as this does. That it follows each character. Yeah. In that scene, in that film, there is no movement between the characters whatsoever. The characters are still the entire time. And it starts on a tracking shot that is wide on the basketball court and starts to slowly close in. Right. And then it just starts cutting between the characters. Oh. I'm like, no, they're not moving. Like, it, yeah, it's it will just be hold tenser. It. It's to fine. Just hold uh, it and just keep 
honing in on. Yeah, long cuts in, you know, yeah. create tension because you're. A... And that's what this fight scene should have been as well. It should have just been a steady shot that just closed in and gave them less space in the frame. Yeah. And that kind of communicated that they had less or they, space. Or even like, you know, not even, even with that, it's like, um, what you're describing there, um, this is a very esoteric reference. Uh, in the anime series Naruto, there's in the towards the end of the season, there's a battle between lead character and his rival character. It's final conflict of the season. And they do all their cool, like, regular, you know, zippy zappy, kabam kabam thing. And at the end of it, it's the two of them stood, like, in a very shallow river, just punching the shit out of each other. And the way that it's shot is it comes out, it's really far out, there, these two little figures, and it just slowly zooms. Mm. As you see them lay into each other, and it really gives you space to consider the brutality. And it's just like, I think that's what this should have been. It, you know, they made this whole thing of like, oh, Paul's never killed a man before. And yet it was so sanitized and so quick and so not brutal. This should have been quite arresting and scary yeah. and unpleasant. And I'm aware that we're getting kicked out of the pub in like two minutes. Mm. So it wasn't as well. So the, uh, before I do final. Yeah, you, after this, the do last final thing final. that I would say about that fight scene as well is that it didn't communicate the kind of annoyance and betrayal that his opponent felt. That like you have dishonored me by not killing me in that moment. And that's what his screams are. His screams aren't, oh, I want to carry on this fight. His screams are, how dare you, how dare you not kill me. me. Sorry. Oh, cheers. Thank you, mate. Okay, final thoughts and then we're out of here. (laughs) It's very half cooked. Yeah. Half is the perfect word for this film in that it's half the plot, but everything is just half developed and it's it's only half bleak it feels like it's a film that should be a lot bleaker yeah the, the pitiless colder. desert yeah. yeah whereas actually it's like they've tried to infuse it with some emotion but they're not sure which so as a result or who should have it yeah yeah there's 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 no there's no innocent no. in this film to kind of root for as in like oh I hope you get out okay yeah no I agree with all of that um, and for my final thought um, I think that the word shy is very cool mm. that's my final thing bye